You're listening to Isaiah, a sermon series from Coram Deo Church in Omaha, Nebraska. For more resources, visit cdomaha.com. You probably come here in one of two states this morning. Uh, either you are refreshed, renewed, you've been three or four days off of work with family, taking some extra naps, enjoying rest. How many of you feel renewed this morning after the holiday? At least three of you. Good job. Uh, the other state you may come here in is frazzled, hurried. You've already been to four family Christmases. you got another one this afternoon as soon as you leave. You're feeling a little bit more tired than you were a week ago at this time. How many of you that describes you? I'm sorry. Glad you're here. The rest of you are somewhere in between. Or not here. I don't know. I'm glad you're here. Uh, it's going to be with you on this last Sunday of 2014. When it comes to Christianity, there's only one question that really matters. And it's simply the question, is it true? Is Christianity demonstrably, verifiably true? It's the only question that really matters. If it isn't true, then you shouldn't believe it. You shouldn't waste your time. If it is true, nothing should keep you from believing it. The core question of everything that Christianity professes and proclaims comes down to the issue of this. Is it true? I start with that because our culture increasingly wants to separate questions of religion from questions of truth. The world around us wants to put religion in the category of is it meaningful to you? Does it help you with your goals in life? Do you find it personally beneficial? If so, that's nice, that's great, good for you. Let's not confuse that with things that are objectively, verifiably true. I hope that for any of you who are concerned about intellectual integrity, that separation does not sit well with you. Because at the end of the day, what the Christian gospel professes is that certain things are objectively, verifiably, historically true. Jesus came, lived, died, rose from the dead. This actually happened. If that's true, it changes everything, and if it's not true, then let's not waste our time. The prophets of the Old Testament were truth speakers. They unapologetically said, here's what's true about God, about the world we live in, about you as a person, about what God has done to provide redemption. Isaiah is one of those prophets, one of those truth speakers. And Isaiah has no interest in whether you find what he wrote personally meaningful. I mean, I think at the end of the day, he would like that. After all, he's a good artist, a good literary poet. But at the end of the day, his concern is, this stuff is true, and therefore, what are you going to do with that? What do you do with truth? On this last Sunday of 2014, we finally conclude our study in the book of Isaiah. It's been 11 months, 42 sermons. Uh, We've spanned the scope of redemptive history from creation to consummation. And I trust that in this year, this study of this particular book of the Old Testament has been for you, as it has been for me, both enjoyable and challenging. There are times when As I prepare for sermons, as I read and study Isaiah, there's been times of joy and worship and delight, and there's been times where I'm beating my head against the wall going, what in the world is this about? 
And I trust that for you as a hearer, as a reader, as a student, you've experienced sort of that same dynamic, that this is both a blessing and enjoyable, and it's also challenging and perplexing at times. And so as we prepare to end this book today and sort of close our study of Isaiah, I want to recap and revisit some of the things Isaiah has held before us this year as true. Some of the major themes, the major emphases, the major truths Isaiah has said, here's what's true about God. We need to reckon with this. So let's revisit some of those high points, some of those key pieces of his narrative. First of all, Isaiah told us it is true that God is holy, that God is other, that God is different. He's in a different category. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He is altogether different. That's Isaiah chapter 6 and Isaiah chapter 55. Second, Isaiah has told us God is sovereign over human history. The whole of it, all of it, God is totally, completely sovereign over all that happens on the earth. That's chapter 8 and chapter 45. Third, Isaiah has told us our sin separates us from God. We have gone astray, we have turned from God, we've gone our own way, and as a result there is separation, there is distance, there is disunity and disharmony between us and God. That's chapters 59 and 64. Fourth, Isaiah has said it is true that God sent his servant to bear our sin, to be our substitute, to stand in our place atoning for our sin and reconciling us to God. That's Isaiah chapter 53. Fifth, Isaiah has said it is true that God will swallow up death forever and usher in a new heavens and a new earth. That's chapter 25 and chapter 65. Sixth, Isaiah has told us it is true that God invites all people everywhere, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every culture, every person, wherever they live and whenever they live, to come to Him and find full and final salvation. This gospel is not for one person or one race of people or one class of people, but for every person everywhere. That was emphasized in chapters 11, 45, and 60. And finally, Isaiah has held out to us consistently throughout this book that it is true that not everyone who claims to worship God truly worships God. He's over and over again brought us back to this theme of the remnant. That there are the people who say they are the people of God, who would profess faith in God, and then there are those who truly love and obey and follow and delight in and have faith in God and in His servant. This theme has been repeated over and over again throughout the book. And so the crucial question that that last truth puts before us is this. Are you a true worshiper of God? Am I a true worshiper of God? Isaiah wants to end the book. He wants to conclude the sermon. He wants to close the composition, bringing us face to face with that question. Are we true worshipers of God? Is this real to us? Is this true? Are we really embracing what it means to know God And be his followers. Are you part of the remnant, Isaiah might say it? 
Are you a true worshiper of God? You say, well, how, how could I tell? That's the question Isaiah wants to answer in chapter 66. So he's going to take all these themes and all this narrative that he's been weaving and he wants to bring all that to a conclusion, putting the question in your lap, are you a true worshiper of God? Here's how you would know. Here's how you'd be able to tell. Here's what it means to truly respond to this grace, this offer of free and full salvation in and through God's servant provided by His grace. So that's the question that Isaiah is going to answer for us this morning. That's the question I want us to ask this morning. It's just the question, are you a true worshiper? Let's look at Isaiah chapter 66. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. If you have an app, I invite you to turn off all your notifications and then turn there. Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus says the Lord. By the way, how many times has Isaiah said that to us? Thus says the Lord. On almost every page of this book, Isaiah says, hey, this isn't me, this isn't my opinion. These aren't human words. This is a divine word from God. Thus says Yahweh, the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Notice that Isaiah begins this chapter with a distinction between false worship and true worship. The first mark of true worship is this. True worshipers tremble at the word Do you tremble at the Word of God? Do you revere God's Word? Do you honor God's Word? Do you care about, want to know, and learn, and benefit from, and be shaped by the Word of God? See, what he's he's saying, right? Thus says the Lord, hey, heaven's my throne, earth is my footstool. No matter how nice a cathedral you build for me, No matter how awesome of a building you put together, it's not impressing me. I don't need to be contained, confined. I don't need you to try to create beauty so that I enjoy it. Here's what matters to me. Do you tremble at my word? That's the person I favor. That's the person I'm looking for. That's the person I bless. That's the person who truly worships me is the one who trembles at my word. Not the one who goes through the outward rituals of worship. Look what he goes on to say in verse 3. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. So, So the first half of all of those contrasts is something good that God prescribed in the Old Testament. Sacrificing a lamb, bringing a memorial offering. These are things God said, do this. The second half of each contrast is some aspect of pagan idolatrous worship. God's saying, the one who sacrifices a lamb, does what I asked, is just like the one who breaks a dog's neck. Pagan idolatrous worship. Why? 
because they've chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. See what God's saying? The fact that you go through the outward ritual of worship, the fact you show up here on Sunday morning, you're here in church, you're singing songs to God, you're listening to the Word of God preached, that's great. That doesn't mean anything to God. That doesn't make you a true worshiper. The thing that makes you a true worshiper is trembling at His Word. A disposition of reverence, obedience, humility before the Word of God. God says, true worshipers tremble at my word. This is so countercultural in the world that we live in. Because what we want to do is to separate God from his word. And we want to say, hey, I'm a spiritual person. I believe in God. I think there is some deity out there in some afterlife, and I'm interested in finding out what that is. Don't talk to me about the Bible. That's human, it's been translated, I'm not sure I believe it, it seems archaic and outdated, so yes God, no word of God. God says, nope, not letting you make that separation. Here's what it means to worship me. It means you tremble at my word. It means when I speak, you listen. When I reveal truth, you hear. When I have spoken, you want to find out what has God said and what does that mean for me? What does it mean for me to come under that humbly and tremble and receive it? Do you tremble at the Word of God? The first question you need to ask yourself to measure, am I a true worshiper? My disposition toward God is reflected in my disposition toward the Word of God. So I can't love God and revere God and honor God without loving and revering and honoring His Word. I want to invite you. I want to invite you to a particular practice to help us grow in true worship. We're about to start a new year. I'm going to personally read through the Bible in 2015. And I want to invite you to do that with me, and what I want to invite you to do is to use social media as a means of helping us. Wouldn't that be amazing? Instead of using social media to only project the parts of our lives that are amazing and hide all the stuff that actually you wouldn't want to know about, let's use social media as a tool of discipleship and spiritual formation. So I'm going to give you a week to think about it. We're going to start next Sunday, all right? There's a particular Bible reading plan that I'm going to use that I think is helpful. It's based on the genres of Scripture. And I'm going to use my Twitter account as a means of every morning just posting, hey, here's the reading for the day. And so I want to invite you, I want to invite us to do this together and to use social media as actually something useful and purposeful to grow us in worship and not something to help us worship ourselves or wish we had the lives of other people whose lives are better than ours. Okay? Let's use it as a tool to actually worship God. I want to invite you to this. And so you got a week to think about it. We're starting next Sunday, right? True worshipers tremble at the word of God. And so that means if we are true worshipers, we have to be revering, honoring, delighting in, digesting, enjoying God's word. Knowing it. It's amazing to me <laughs> how many things we can talk about, right? Most of you can talk intelligently about movies, music, Food, restaurants, culture, the Kardashians, right? I mean, uh, what's going on in Syria and Iraq? Elections, politics. We can talk intelligently about all kinds of things. 
but often not about the Word of God. So let's change that. True worshipers tremble at the Word of God. God says, here's what I'm looking for. People who revere my Word, who want to know it, want to hear my voice, want to honor me by honoring my Word. Let's pick up the text in verse 10. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass. And the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. And he shall show his indignation against his enemies. Here's the second mark of true worship. True worshipers welcome the reign of God. Welcome the reign of God, the kingship of God, the lordship of God, the rule of God. The image that Isaiah gives us here is the image of the city of Jerusalem ruled by God and the people of Jerusalem being nurtured, protected, cared for like children. Little children being carried on the hip and bounced on the knee. It's an image of the delight and the joy of being under the care and the reign and the rule of a good God and Father who cares for His children. And notice in verse 14, there are two options. The end of verse 14, the hand of the Lord shall be known to His servants, and He shall show His indignation against His enemies. There are only two responses you can have to a king. You can be His servant, Or you can be his enemy. You can receive his reign or you can resist his reign. Right? There's not a third option. Now I know we're living in a democracy and we want to be the third party, non-affiliated person who's too independent for any other party. And so we have some third way that we want to create for ourselves, right? But not when there's a king in power. Not when Jesus comes back to reign. There's not some third category. Well, I kind of serve him unless I disagree with his policies. God says, here's here's what it means to worship Him. It's to rejoice in, to welcome His reign and His rule and His authority. It's to come under His lordship and His reign and His rule and to welcome that. To welcome that in my own life and in the world around me. It's to want to see His kingdom come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In my life as it is in heaven. In my family as it is in heaven. This is what it means to be a true worshiper, is to rejoice in, to welcome the reign of God. So you need to ask yourself the question, do you welcome the reign of God? Do you welcome the authority of God in your life? Are you the kind of person who says, I want to know what God thinks and what God commands and what God prescribes so I can conform my life to that. I want to know what God wants done so I can do that. I want to know how God says to live so I can live that way. Is Jesus Lord and King and ruler? Or are you Lord and King and ruler who gives lip service to King Jesus while you run your own life? 
True worshipers welcome the reign of God. They want to see Jerusalem flourish. They want to rejoice in being nurtured, being loved, being cared for by a good and faithful God and King. They want to see His hand known among His servants. Let's pick it up again in verse 18. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come and see my glory, and I will set a sign among them. Remember that phrase, we're going to come back to that. And from them, from these that have come and seen my glory, I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pul, and Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javon, to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations, and they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord, on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries to my holy mountain, Jerusalem. What is Isaiah picturing here? He's picturing people coming to see the glory of God and then being sent by God to every place on earth where people have not heard His fame or seen His glory and declaring the goodness of His fame and His glory. And Isaiah sees a worldwide influx of people coming to worship God by every means of transportation you can imagine, specific to various cultures and places. He says, people are going to be flocking to my holy mountain to worship me because I've sent my ambassadors, my representatives, my missionaries. They've told of my glory among the nations and people are coming to worship me. This is Isaiah's picture of the Great Commission. This is exactly what Jesus talked about in Matthew 28, where he said, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Notice what Isaiah says. Remember, Isaiah's writing in about 700 BC, before the coming of Christ. Notice what he says. The time is coming to gather nations and tongues. Remember, at the time Isaiah's writing, God's word is primarily given to the people of Israel. But Isaiah has said over and over again, it's for the nations, it's for the nations, it's for the nations. He says, the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. They shall come and see my glory. Okay, now. Acts chapter 1. Just mess with your biblical hermeneutic a little bit, right? When does this happen? Oh, it happens on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 1. Chapter 2. Sorry, I had the wrong chapter. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from where? Every nation under heaven. And at this sound of the Holy Spirit coming upon the apostles, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing him speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these guys who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Every place, everywhere on earth, we hear them speaking in our language. This is the beginning of the fulfillment of exactly what Isaiah is talking about. God's saying, I'm going to gather my people from every tribe and nation, they're going to see my glory, and then I'm going to send them out to spread it everywhere to everyone. And we're still living in the midst of this, my friends. This is still our commission. 
We're still in the day of taking this message to every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every person and every neighborhood and every workplace. True worshipers participate in the mission of God. That's what Isaiah is saying. True worshipers participate in the mission of God. True worshipers have a delight in seeing people come to know Jesus. Why? Because they have come to know Jesus and be saved from their sin, and they want others to know Jesus. And so they're happy to be used as God's missionaries, God's ambassadors, God's sent ones, God's representatives to go and to proclaim his good news to others that they might come and worship as well. True worshipers participate in the mission of God. Listen to me. If you don't care if people know Jesus, then you are not a worshiper of Jesus. Hear that. If you don't care if people know Jesus, then you don't worship him yourself. If you're not passionate about people knowing him, you're not a worshiper. Those who worship Christ want others to worship Christ because they know how beautiful and wonderful it is to be saved and to know the glory and presence of God. Notice something else in verse 19, what Isaiah says. Remember, he's writing before the time of Christ. Time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. They shall come and see my glory, and I will set a sign among them. What sign, what symbol, what image has God set among the nations? What symbol is it that wherever you go on earth is the universal symbol of Christianity? Yeah, it's the symbol that's right here on stage. The cross of Jesus Christ. That's the sign that God has set among the nations as the universal symbol of what separates the Christian faith from everything else. The symbol of God's atoning grace through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. True worshipers love that sign. Want to be defined by that symbol. I've been crucified with Christ, the Apostle Paul said, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I've been crucified with Jesus. I've come to know the power of dying to myself and being raised to life in Christ. Therefore, I want others to know that as well. True worshipers participate in the mission of God. Let's pick it up again in verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. The end. That's the end of the book of Isaiah. He could have ended after verse 23, but he dropped a minor chord in there for you. Did you catch that? He, he ends with a stark, clear picture of eternal judgment and hell. In fact, Jesus in Mark 9 picks up this exact image from Isaiah 66 and he speaks of hell as a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched and he's just borrowing from Isaiah. 
So here's the fourth aspect or mark of true worship. True worshipers fear the judgment of God. True worshipers fear the judgment of God. Remember, Isaiah is saying, this is true. He's not saying, let me just let me throw some imagery in here to kind of scare you. A little hellfire and brimstone to kind of stir up your Sunday morning. He's saying, this is objectively, verifiably true. This is the fate of those who rebel against God. So true worshipers fear the judgment of God. True worshipers know God is going to call every act and every person to judgment. All of us are going to give an account of our lives before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. We'll answer for every thought, every word, every deed. That ought to scare you. That shouldn't be a day you're going to do like, I'll probably pass that. I'm doing pretty good. Right? The reason true worshipers fear the judgment of God is because it's this judgment, it's this fact that we're going to stand before God that requires us then to need someone to atone for our sin. To need someone to stand in our place and bear that judgment on our behalf. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ came to do. To receive the judgment of God on the cross for sin so that those who trust in Him can be free from judgment and condemnation. So true worshipers fear the judgment of God. Isaiah says it not just here in verse 24, but in verses 16, 15 and 16 as well. He hits this minor note, this key of judgment. He's said throughout the whole book, salvation comes through judgment. God is just. God will not let any evil deed in the universe go unpunished. God does not grade on a curve. God does not compromise His justice so that He can express His love. Rather, His justice and love come together, hence the cross of Jesus Christ. True worshipers fear the judgment of God. I want you to see that if you, if you and I worshipped as Isaiah is asking us to worship, if we said, okay, these four things are the marks of true worship, I want to do these things, where would that take us? It would take us directly to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because if we tremble at the word of God, if we really revere and honor God's word, we want to know, what is this word about? What's the point of it? What's it pointing us to? What's the centerpiece of the story? What's the heart of the narrative? And the answer is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, what we celebrate in Advent, his incarnation, life, death, resurrection. So if we tremble at the word of God, it takes us to Jesus. If we welcome the reign of God, we want to know, where does God's kingdom come into human history? What does it mean to welcome the kingdom of God and welcome the reign of God? How does his reign get expressed? The answer is the coming of Jesus Christ. That's why in Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes on the scene. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It has come. It's here. If we participate in the mission of God, we want to know what, what, what mission am I on? What truth am I to proclaim? If I'm an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ, what's the message I am to carry? And that brings us right to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of his life, death, and resurrection. The good news of the suffering servant, Isaiah 53. And if we fear the judgment of God, then we want to, we want to rightly know, how do I escape God's judgment? How does Isaiah 66, 24 not become the epitaph of my life? 
How can I be delivered from final judgment and enjoy the new heavens and new earth and new city like we professed in the catechism? Answer, through faith in Jesus Christ. Through bowing the knee to King Jesus and receiving the work that He did on the cross for all who will trust in Him. So if we worship as Isaiah invites us to worship, we end up at Jesus. There's no way to read Isaiah 66 and experience true worship apart from Jesus. Isaiah is a prophet pointing us to Jesus. Isaiah's prophecy is one big flashing arrow pointing us to Jesus. This is how the Bible is written. The prophets set a trajectory of expectation that takes us to Christ, that culminates in the Lord Jesus. And so as he has been throughout the entire book, Isaiah is holding up Jesus before us and saying, here's Jesus Christ. See him. Worship him. Embrace him. Bow the knee to him. Surrender to him. Give him your life. Serve him. Worship him. This is the point of what Isaiah has written. His point is to show us God to reveal to us what's true about God, and to elicit as a result of that truth, response. Isaiah is saying, I'm not writing for your enjoyment, I'm writing for your response. I'm writing to engender a response in you. This is true, what are you going to do with this truth? And so as we close our study of the book of Isaiah this morning, I want to apply this by speaking to three different kinds of people who are in the room this morning, all right? Isaiah has a, an application for you wherever you are this morning. And I think there's in general three kinds of people here this morning. First of all, some of you are true worshipers of God. You hear these marks of true worship that Isaiah puts forward and you say, yes. Right? True worshipers tremble at the word of God. And you say, Yes. I want to know God's word. I want to hear God's word. I want to honor and revere God's word. I want to conform my life to God's word. I care about knowing what God has said. You hear true worshipers welcome the reign of God. You say, yeah, I want Jesus to be on the throne, reigning and ruling in my life. I want to conform my life to him. I want to know what he says and how he wants me to live and what he commands me to do so I can live that way. You hear that true worshipers participate in the mission of God. You say, yep, man, as best I can, I want to be an ambassador. I don't know how to share the gospel with people very well, but I want to be an ambassador. I want to be a missionary. I want to be a representative. I want people to have opportunity through me to hear and know about the Lord Jesus. And you hear that true worshipers fear the judgment of God. You say, yeah. That's why I'm thankful for the cross because I know I'm going to give an account of my life to God. I know God is just. And with a holy reverence, I fear his judgment. I'm aware of the reality of that coming day. And therefore, I take refuge in the Lord Jesus. And so if that's you, if you're a true worshiper here this morning, here's what I want to ask you to do as we close. On this last day of 2014, or this last Sunday of 2014, I want to invite you just to thank God. To give him praise. To thank him for revealing his grace to you, and saving you, and changing you, and creating in you a heart of worship. Because one thing we know from Isaiah, as we've studied it all year, is that you didn't come to that decision and that conviction by yourself. You came to that place by the grace of God as he poured out his grace on you, awakened your soul, changed your heart. And so I want you to end this year just thanking him for giving you a heart of worship.
for changing me. There's a second group of you in the room this morning, and that is some of you that don't yet worship God. You, you hear this and you're like, yeah, I'm not a true worshiper. I hear what you're saying. I hear what Isaiah is preaching. And as I hear these things, I recognize, ah, I don't really tremble at the word of God. I'm not sure that I welcome the reign of God. In fact, there's something in me that resists that. I don't want people to know Jesus. I don't care about others knowing Christ. And I don't really fear the judgment of God. I don't take that seriously. I'm not animated and motivated by that coming day. And if that's you this morning, here's the invitation I want to put before you. Today, would you cross the line into true worship? Would you let this day, the last Sunday of 2014, be the day that you close with the Lord Jesus Christ, that you cross the threshold into a life of true worship, that you bow the knee to King Jesus and say, God, I want to be a true worshiper. This is true, and therefore I want to come, I want to bow the knee, I want to ask you to give me a heart that would tremble at your word. I want you to reign and rule in my life. I want you to catch me up in your mission, and I want you to deliver me from your coming judgment. Would you let this be the day that you come personally to surrender your life to Christ? That's why Isaiah's writing. That's why we're here this morning. It's why I'm preaching. It's why God has you here, whether you know it or not, because he's after you. He wants you as a worshiper of him. The promise Isaiah has made about God's word going out to all nations includes the nation of Omaha, Nebraska, even though it's not a nation, right? It includes you, your life, your neighborhood, your city. The word of God is going forth this morning and God's inviting you to come and be his worshiper. And if there's some hindrance or some hesitation or something that's holding you back, some question that hasn't been answered, would you come and talk to me about it afterwards? I'd love to just know where you are. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to be able to walk with you in the midst of the journey of whatever God's doing in your life. There's a third category of people here this morning a more challenging category, and that is those of you who, as you hear this, know that you're not a true worshiper, but are pretending to be. So, so you know, these things aren't really true in my heart. I don't tremble at the word of God. I'm not welcoming the reign of God. I want to be in charge of my own life. I don't want to participate in the mission of God. I don't fear the judgment of God. You know these things are true in you, that these do not define you. And yet for some reason, whether it's pressure from your spouse or your family, whether it's conforming to societal expectations, whether it's this is how you were raised, there's something in you that, that's sort of pretending like you're really a true worshiper. And you're going through the motions of being a part of a church and showing up. But you know in your heart of hearts, man, I'm not a true worshiper of God. Can I just invite you this morning to step into reality with God? See, here's the beautiful thing that Isaiah showed us. You're not fooling God. You might be fooling lots of other people. You might be fooling yourself even. But God knows what's really going on in your heart. And so Isaiah wants to free you to walk into the light of truth and honesty. And say, listen, it's okay to be who you really are. So that might mean this morning you need to bow the knee and cross the line into faith in Jesus. Or it might mean this morning you just give up the charade and say, let me just be honest about who I really am and where I really am. Let me be honest about my doubts and my fears and my hesitations. Let me stop pretending. God welcomes that kind of honesty. 
And if there's ever a church where that kind of honesty is welcomed and valued, it's Cormdale Church. You're not going to be ostracized. You're not going to become an outsider because you don't trust in Jesus. Rather, we're going to love the Hey, I love that you're being honest about where you're really at right now with God. And so this morning, I want to invite, if, if you're one of those people who's pretending, kind of going through the motions, I want to invite you to stop doing that. And just to walk into the light of reality and getting honest with God this morning. All that God wants is honesty. He wants you to come to Him humbly. He's after your worship. And if you're not yet at the place where you want to be a true worshiper of Him, He at least wants you to acknowledge that and be in a place where you're being honest about where you really are. So can I invite you to step into the light of honesty and reality with God this morning? Isaiah has written this book. Isaiah has spoken these words. Isaiah has composed this book to bring us to a place of honesty before God. To bring us to bow the knee to King Jesus and submit and surrender our lives to Him. It's the only thing that matters. The only question that matters this morning is, is Christianity true? So I'm going to close this in prayer. I'm going to give you a chance, just a moment of silence before the Lord. If you're a true worshiper, to thank Him for saving you. If you're not a true worshiper, to to enter into true worship this morning through faith in Jesus. Or if you just need to be honest with God about what's really going on in your heart, a moment to do that. And then I'm going to close us in prayer. So would you now take this moment of silence and meditation to speak to God in your own heart. Father in heaven, thank you for the precious reality of truth. Thank you that you have spoken truth to us through the prophet Isaiah. And thank you that you invite us into truthful honesty with you. So God, I thank you this morning that many of us have been brought into true worship. Our hearts have been changed and renewed and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and we give you praise because we know that's your doing. We didn't get ourselves here. You got us here by grace, and we are grateful. But I want to pray for many of my friends here this morning who are not yet worshipers of you. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'd bring them to a place of bowing the knee of surrendering to your reign and your rule, of embracing your suffering servant, the the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. God, would this day be the day they cross the line into a life of submitted faith, obedience, and worship. And Father, I pray for those who are pretending. Pray for those who are here who know in their heart of hearts they don't truly worship you, and yet something compels them to to act as though they do. And so really they're the most frustrated people in the room because they're trying to live a supernatural life without any supernatural resources. God, I pray that you would just bring them to a place where they recognize that frustration and humbly come into the light of honesty before you. God, we want to see them saved and changed, but, but we want to invite them just to reality. And so I pray for them that they would feel the grace 
that you offer this morning to not pretend, to not try to be something they're not, to not try to live up to somebody's expectation of them or somebody's opinion of them, but rather just to be honest with you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come to save people from sin. So thank you for the refreshing light of truth. And we pray on this last Sunday of this year that Isaiah's message would find fertile ground in our hearts. That we would respond in faith and true worship and true obedience to the God who has loved and pursued us and set His sign among the nations in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be ever more fully defined by that cross as we take up our cross daily and follow you. We pray for our good and for your glory. Amen.